Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for love. Let's sing that again. Thank you for loving me. 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 Heavenly Father, thank you that we can sing that. We can sing that this afternoon because it's true. It's true that you are a God who loves. Thank you that, God, you are love. Not that love is God. No, no, no. God is love. And there's such a great difference. And we're grateful that you are the God of love. And that we get to to enjoy the benefits that come with knowing you, Lord God. Would you please meet with us today? in a way that would be tremendous and incredible and life-changing. Lord, it's not just about information, it's about transformation. Would you transform us, Lord, through the information that comes from your living word today. For the sake of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome, welcome to a series called A Short Assurance. And how many of you know, being sure, being sure, Sure assurance. How many of you know that being spiritual isn't necessarily godly? Spirituality isn't necessarily synonymous with godliness. And I think we, we saw that last week, didn't we, when we looked at verse 1 to 6 of 1 John 4. There are loads of people who are spiritual, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're godly. And could it be true also of us? See, we want to ask a question like John with regards to a sure assurance. Do we have it? Are we sure? There was a TV presenter who one day on the radio did a competition and he invited people to to, to call in or to, to write in with regards to a question. And his question was, As far as he knew in the English language, there are only two words that begin with the letter S-U that are pronounced SH. So he says, guess what? People were supposed to kind of write in or contact him. Someone contacted him and said, sir, um, I think her name is Mrs. Jenkins. She said, sir, I'm sure there's only one word in the English language that begins with the letter S-U, not two. And And it's sugar. So he wrote back to her on a postcard and he said, just one sentence, are you sure? (laughs) And that's the question that John's asking, that's the question we're asking. And first John is like taking a paternity test, a paternity test, um, you know, um, daytime TV, is it the the most current one is um, Jeremy Kyle, back in in the days it was Oprah, back in the day it was um, Jerry Springer. Jeremy Kyle, and, and often they'll have some, like a couple come up and they've got drama, right? I mean, it's drama that sells that program, and they come up and she wants to prove or disprove whether or not her partner 
her current partner is the father of the child, right? And so they have to take a, a paternity test. And I think one of the things that we're doing is we're doing the same, although we're not taking a paternity test to find out who the father is, because that's quite clear and plain in the spiritual sense, but we want to find out who the children are. Who the children are. Are we sure? Are you the child or the parent? So today we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21, and our title for our message today is A Sure and Ultimate Love. A Sure and Ultimate Love. And hopefully you're in 1 John. I'm going to start reading from verse 7 right through to the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Just this, let me just pause real quick. Guess how many times we're going to hear the word love come up in this chapter? 26 times in like, I think, 15 verses. Nearly twice the, <laughs> nearly twice the amount of verses. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It's going to be mentioned twice. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God... God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. May God bless his word to our hearing today. A sure and ultimate love. Love is a popular subject, right? Films, magazines, books, music, dating sites. Love is really, really popular. And you probably know this guy. We were at a meeting yesterday just talking about Passion for Life 2014, um, which is Easter next year. And at this meeting, it just came up 
a statement from this guy, James Arthur. And this is, I think, the, the title of his new song, or one of his current songs, at least. And um, it's called, You're Nobody Till Somebody Loves You. Now, how many of you know that's a double entendre? It's like a, it's like a double-edged sword in a sense that it's kind of got a double meaning, like it can be really, 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 really dangerously destructive. Or that can actually be quite encouraging and beneficial. See, if you don't know God, I would say that could be very, very damaging. You could feel like, oh, well, if nobody loves me, you know what I'm saying? I'm nobody. And I'm nothing. And I mean, if you know, if, if you take that to, to a logical conclusion, I mean, you, that could, you could end up in suicide. If you don't have someone showing, and obviously you have to define what love is, but I would suggest that if, if God loves you, that does make you somebody. And I think I'd like to help us to understand God's love. And as I said, I mean, it's come up 26 times in our text. The love of God that makes us somebody. Now, let me give you a, a, what I would say is a, is a good, helpful, biblical definition. Our friend Vody, we, I gave you this um, a couple of weeks ago without the picture, saying, so you know, now you know what it looks like. But in terms of, uh, of love, here's a really good definition. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. In our text, it says twice that God is love. God is love. And the, the, the text that we're looking at today is a bit complicated. So what I've done is I've just put it up in terms of headings so you can see what the, te- the frame of the text looks like and kind of like where we're going. So we're talking about two things. One, the source of love and the fruit of love. The source of love, verse 7 to 16, and the fruit of love, verse 17 to 21. Now, under the source of love, we're going to look at ultimate love that comes from God and ultimate love displayed in death. And then we're going to look at the fruit of love. Ultimate love eliminates fear and ultimate love prompts brotherly love. And what John's going to do in this chapter, he's going to go moral test, then he's going to give you a theological test, then he's going to give you a, another moral test to conclude. And again, it's climbing that staircase, having a look at these issues again from different points of view. So, <clears throat> under our first point, source of love. First of all, ultimate love comes from God. Look at verse 7 with me if you have a manuscript copy in your lap or in your phone or in your iPad. Verse 7, beloved, notice he's speaking to believers, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. First of all, I think one of the things we see in this verse is the fact that we can love with others as the object. We can. We've been enabled, if you like, to love. John is speaking to Christians who have been given the ability to love how many of you know there was a time when we couldn't really love, not with the God kind of love, prior to our conversion? Remember, because of the fall, we were all corrupted and defiled because of sin um, in the garden. Rather than obey God, God's commandments were rejected. Man fell, 
And there was a change that took place in man. It affected him, I'm saying, to the, to the deepest part of his being. And every single individual that was born after Adam and Eve suffers from the same illness, the same disease. And um, like a broken mirror, we, although still humans, reflect the image of God, but not in a very, not in a very healthy and consistent manner. There is a reflection of God, but it's like looking in a cracked mirror when you look at humans. But when we're brought into relationship with God through Christ Jesus, we're renewed and we're transformed, and then we're given the ability to reflect God in the way that we originally ought to. And, and how do believers love? With a God type of love. In Second Peter, again, it shows us just how we can love chapter 1 verse 4 says god he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his nature the divine nature enabling us to love like god god's expectation is that we his people we his children would reflect his love towards god but then also towards others Matthew 22, we hear the classic in verse 36. Someone says, teacher, speaking to Jesus, which is the great commandment of the law. And he says to him, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We can love. And as we saw a few weeks ago, as the Lord Jesus takes this quality of love to another level, he says, look, a new commandment I give to you. That was the old commandment. A new commandment now I give to you. And it's very similar. He says that you love one another, but just as I have loved you, also, um, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, without this exceptional, ultimate expression of love from God, we don't, even, we don't even know love. But we can, and not only, not only can we know it, we can communicate that love. And we can love others because, not of who we are, but because of who God is. God is love. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, which test is this? It's the moral test. You know, you know there's a Hollywood version of love. And the Hollywood version of love, I heard, I think it was, I think it was Mark Driscoll. <laughs> he says, the Hollywood version of love, when someone in the world says, I love you, very often, if not the majority of the time, when they say, I love you, it means let's get naked. And I think many of us know that type of quote-unquote love. But that's not love. Or at least it's not the type of love that we're talking about. That's just lust. The greatest and most significant type of love, that ultimate love comes from God and 
And, 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 and the, the type of love that John's talking about here is love particularly for the family of God and its evidence of genuine sonship. If I really want to know if you're a child of God, I can, I can evidence that by how and if you or I love the family of God. So ultimate love, first of all, it comes from God and enables us to love. Secondly, ultimate love is displayed in death. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Wow, that's like, okay, you want to see what love really looks like? Here's the manifestation of it. And it's that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John chapter 3, verse 16, a very common verse, as well as verse 17. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he's now going to display that how? In death. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, we're going to come back to, to that verse at the end of the message. The end of verse 9 of our text says, True life is only accessed through Christ. True life is only accessed through Christ. He's the only means through which we can truly live. This blessed benefit comes to us by virtue of God's great and ultimate love. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God not only took initiative to love us first, verse 9, look at the degree to which he went to effectively help us in light of our ultimate problem. Can you see our ultimate problem? It's the last word in verse 10, if you have the ESV. See our ultimate problem? is sin. Sin. This is why it's helpful to see the Bible as a whole or as, a, a, as one big story. Because in Genesis 3, as I just described, just after man was created, mankind fell, making a tremendous mistake. And this mistake had monumental, cataclysmic, catastrophic consequences that have affected every human being since the creation of man, bringing destruction, devastation, and death, which is probably an understatement. Because of Adam's sin that infected the whole human race, we now have been separated from God. And without intervention, we cannot be reunited with God apart from a perfect sacrifice. You guys ever heard of penal substitutionary atonement? There's probably a few things I would have said about that with regards to certain voices that are really familiar today. Um, but I'm going to skip that. Penal substitutionary atonement, because there are those who would speak against this in the name of Christ. Um, penal substitutionary atonement. <clears throat> penal, it's punishment, right? Someone's penalized in the place of 
sinners, so there's a substitution where sinners ought to receive the punishment, someone else steps in place and is substituted for those <clears throat> that are guilty, satisfying the demands of justice so that, so that God can justly forgive the sins of those who are guilty. Atonement, so penal punishment, substitutionary, someone taking a place, atonement. Atonement is at one meant. It's bringing two things together that were separated, atonement. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we see a sacrifice that satisfies God's just wrath against us for all our rebellion against him. Propitiation. Ben showed us this a few weeks ago, right? And he said that God died in our place to save us from himself. The justice and, and, and severity of God. Last night, you may have seen, getting back to this whole thing about the big story, and it's important to understand the beginning of the book in order for us to really grasp the, the meaning of the end of the book. Last night, you may have seen or may not have the first of a four-week mini-series. Anybody see it? Anybody know what it's called? The, the Bible. It's on Channel 5. I think I said to a couple of people, like, it's coming on. I said Channel 4. It's actually Channel 5. And um, most viewed this TV series this year in the States, right? 200 million viewers. Um, Kirsten Waring, I think her name is. Um, anybody know Kirsten Waring? Her name's Kirsty in a very common English um, soap opera. Right. Kirsty is in EastEnders, apparently. And um, Kirsty is actually one of, the, one of the actresses in this version of the Bible. And guess which role she plays? I think, apparently, it's a role that's similar to the role she plays in EastEnders. Delilah. Those of you that watch it would know what that means. I don't know fully, but that's what I read. And um, apparently, you might be able to see her in the next episode. It might be next week she's going to be turning up. The, do you know the creators of this film? Do you know, do you know, you know what they, they also created? The Apprentice and also um, The Voice, that musical program. The same people that, that, that made this. They're actually Christians. And um, <clears throat> talking about films, you know there's a, there's, a film, there's a Bible film coming out in April next year called Noah. And it's, um, guess, who's this, guess who's playing Noah? Russell Crowe. And, um, you know, I was thinking, mm, I watched the trailer. I watched the trailer, and um, let me say that I'm reserving my criticisms till after I see the film. I encourage you to have a look at the trailer still. I was shocked. But, like I said, I'm not going to hold my breath, but we'll see. Coming back to this miniseries, The Bible, the series covers Genesis to Revelation which is really quite unique in terms of something that's being presented on TV as a series, right? And it's beautiful because it presents, as much as they've taken a lot of dramatic license, there's a lot of stuff in there that ain't necessarily Bible, but I, say, I would say overall, it doesn't necessarily affect the meaning of the big story, you know what I mean? So watch it with that in mind. <clears throat> but it shows you the grand narrative, and you see... You see, you, you, you see you, you see how the, the, the big story is a series of smaller stories 
And the fact that it's over like four parts, I think it's five, two, no, five, five parts, is it five two-hour parts, um, is really helpful in our understanding of the Bible. It's good because you can't read the whole Bible through like in, in 10 hours, you know what I'm saying? But this is really helpful and it contributes to a point that I'm going to make in a minute. Now, the series apparently is based on the NIV and the NRSV, and the producers, believe it or not, are a husband and wife couple, and um, they're called um, Downey and Burnett. I think that those are their surnames. They kept their surnames. I don't know what that's all about, but um, they said <clears throat> their greatest hope in making the series was that it would affect a new generation of viewers and draw them back to the Bible. Part of what we hoped to accomplish with the series was to show the Bible in not simply a collection of unconnected stories, which are often discussed and analyzed in snippets with chapter and verse numbers. Instead, we wanted to show how the Old Testament connects seamlessly to the New Testament, how they are one sweeping story with one grand overriding message. And those of us on the UMP said, amen. A lie? Wow. Now, they would say the, the main thrust of the film is to show God loves every individual. I would say the grand narrative is to show that the whole Bible is about Jesus and how he relates to every individual as the ultimate example of God's love to us through his atoning death on the cross. Now, this is really important, and you begin to hear about this much more. They, they call this biblical theology, looking at the smaller stories and how they fit into the larger story. Um, two of the stories screened in the first episode last night were Abraham's sacrifice of his son and the Passover. And both of those stories are beautifully helpful because in the story of Abraham, you see him about to obviously um, offer his son up as a sacrifice and caught in a thicket is a ram. They got a lamb, but it's actually a ram, the text says. And that ram is substituted for his son. But it's a picture of what God will do in the future. And God is not going to withhold a knife this time. And there's going to be blood. A lot of it. And then the second, second story that they had last night was the Passover, where the angel of death goes through Egypt and slays the firstborn. He brings death right, to anyone who hasn't got blood on the doorposts of their house, and it's in the shape of a cross, and it's on the wooden lintels, it's a picture of the cross, and the blood of an innocent sacrifice, a lamb, get in the house behind the blood, and, you're, and death is prevented from affecting you. It's another picture, it's another beautiful picture of who? Of Jesus. And Jesus says in Luke 24, the whole Bible actually is about me. And it's wonderful to be able to see the big story and it all points to him. Jesus is the focus of the big storyline of the Bible and we're actually going to give you a sneak peek on the 22nd of December where we're going to do some biblical theology. And it passed the E, passed the P. Yeah, yeah, getting ready. The Bible is all about Jesus, notice, who is the express image of God. He's the ultimate expression of God's love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us by sending his son, 
to be a propitiation, a substitution for us. If God so loved us, how do we get away with not loving one another? We also ought to love one another. Is there any excuse that would sufficiently excuse us from loving one another in the light of God's love for us? Be like, blessing coming your way, Melissa. Here you go. She looks shocked there. I picked her because she's playing with her phone, see? <laughs> she says she's taking notes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Imagine the Lord... Imagine getting so much love coming your direction, sis, like from your hubby. Where is he? Where's Ben? Not yet. Hubby. Potential hubby, yeah? You know what I mean? All that love. Wrap this up. All that love coming in your direction and, 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 and like no response to that love. No. Do we have any excuse of... And look at what happens when we love as God determines, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, you know. Imagine, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Hey, how many of you know, because God is invisible, he can't be seen. But he can be seen in us. When we demonstrate this God kind of love, and it's, it's a little bit like Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh, right? You want to know what God looks like? We said, look at Jesus. God manifested in the flesh. And we say, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. But Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says to his disciples, look, I'm the light of the world. But guess what? You are the light of the world. And what we say is, it's a bit like the sun and the moon. Jesus is the sun, the S-O-N, but it's the S-U-N. And we're like the moon. We're not the sun. Hey. But how many of you know, you look at the moon and you think, oh, look, at the, the moon is shining. In Jamaica, they call it moonshine, right? And you think, look at the, but the moon. How many of you know the moon ain't shining? The only light that the moon has is that which is, is reflected from the light of the sun. That's what we're looking at. And we as disciples, we reflect we reflect God to the world, and they get to see God, even though God is invisible. See? God is invisible, but we get to help people who can't see God, see God. That is the restored image of God in his creation, communicating, clarifying who God is in a way that he determines. As I said, it doesn't mean that we're God. Jesus is God. We're not. But we reflect the image of God. And God, and that because God now lives. It's not even just because we've been exposed to Christ. God, it says, has come to live in us by his spirit. Verse 13 says in confirmation of that. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he's given us of his spirit. It's not just that we reflect God from a distance. Okay, we know who God. Okay, good, cool. Let me, no, he, God actually has come to live on the inside of us by his spirit. God has shed his love abroad in our hearts by his spirit.
If you've got a glass full of water and you bump the glass, the only thing that's going to come out is water. I mean, we may look at ourselves and say, boy, Robert, there's a lot more in me than just water or just the spirit. You know what I mean? But that may be true in a sense, but surely if you get bumped, apart from some of the other stuff that will come out, there's got to be a little bit of love that comes. There's got to be a little bit of the, the spirit. There's got to be a little bit of God's genuine love spill out of us. Yesterday I had an issue at home, and I tell you, my, my glass got bumped, and it wasn't, water, it wasn't pure water. It wasn't, it wasn't the spirit that came out. It was something else. And I mean, you know how many of you know once it spill out, you can't scoop it and put it, put it back in? It was horrible, and um, I went to a meeting with just in a horrible state because of what had come out of my heart and come out in, in this kind of confrontation, and I was like, Lord, this is not good, and it, was all, and it was directed towards a believer, and I really had to repent, and it took me a minute, which is not cool, but I was like, eventually I was like, Lord, forgive me. Because you've given me your spirit. And um, Lord, help me to allow your spirit to be that which comes out when I'm bumped. As opposed to the other stuff. Because I'm, I'm supposed to be your son. I'm, suppo- my, I, I'm supposed to be ref- reflecting your image. God help me. God help us. He's given us of his spirit. Verse 13, who fundamentally enables us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Which is love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, this is the third time in seven verses he's mentioned the fact that the Father sent the Son. Remember, love is seen by virtue of its actions. Three times it's pointing that, look how God has, has, has shown his love by acting in sending the Son and to that gruesome death that, We've already described. And John says at the beginning of verse 14, he says, you know what? You can't tell me nothing. He says, this is something that I saw with my own eyes. That is the son that the father sent. In chapter one, he talked about this is the word of life that we touched, we handled. We didn't just see him. We heard him. He was with us. You can't tell me nothing, says John. And John has dedicated his whole life to communicating this good news about the one, about the God who demonstrates his sure and ultimate love through the cross. Mark Driscoll's book called Death by Love. In the foreword, it says, we must ensure that the cross remains the crux of all that, all that it means to think and live like Jesus. That's the apostles' encouragement three times in seven verses. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 11, but God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's propitiation. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, because we were separated, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And the question is, as we look at this second section, is do you believe this? See, this is another one of John's tests. Do you believe this theologically? If you do believe it, look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him or her, and he or she in God. The theological test, what do you believe? Look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to what? believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the source of love and that ultimate love comes from God? Do you believe that ultimate love is displayed in death? Well, those that love God and are loved by God believe this. And they believe it with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind. Now let's look quickly at the second section of our te text, the fruit of love, verse 17 to 21. The fruit of love. Third, ultimate love eliminates fear. Verse 17, by this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. As we already mentioned, there's an enmity or a hostility between sinful man and a holy God that have been separated, right? The enmity that once separated us from God has now been removed through the cross. So now, as we saw last week, we can approach God, not gingerly, but with boldness, carefully, but with boldness, Hebrews 4, verse 16, without fear of guilt, as we anticipate standing before him on the day of judgment. Remember John 3, verse 16, and I said we'll come back again to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him saved from the judgment, saved from the wrath which is to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not destined us, believers, beloved, for wrath, but to obtain salvation, no other way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among man whereby we must be saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17. 
of our text. By this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because, now this is a tricky phrase, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What is that all about? I think a clearer translation would say, we are like him in this world or because as he is righteous, so also are we righteous. But also because as he is, that is, Jesus has direct access to the Father, so also we, although down here on earth, in this world, we also have direct access to the Father. First John chapter 3, verse 2, we, whoops, we saw it already. I haven't put that one up there. Oh, but we know, chapter 3, verse 2, but we know that when he appears, we shall what? We'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. So Jesus is righteous. He's in, he's in heaven, but we're down here on earth. We're righteous. Jesus is in heaven with direct access to the... I mean, he can lean over, right? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But we, although we're down here on earth, we are in this world. We are like him because we also have direct access to the Father. Therefore, verse 18, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If we fear the day of judgment, that is an indication that we either don't know God, or we need to grow in our love for God. That love that he's given us needs to be perfected in us. Anyone in here who needs perfecting, maturing, need to grow and develop a bit more? I know I do. And First John has been challenging us to that end, hasn't it? And as that love begins to permeate our understanding and our appreciation becomes outworked, it eliminates fear because it's one of the things that gives you a short assurance of your salvation. Ultimate love eliminates fear. And lastly, number four, ultimate love prompts brotherly love. Verse 19 to 21. We again come back to the moral test as we close. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That's why we love. Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but then, oh, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. To not love is to walk in what? Darkness. To not love is to walk in darkness. And guess what you can't do in the darkness? You can't see. But if we walk in the light, We'll see our brothers and our sisters. Let us not be like Cain, who didn't walk in the light, but he walked in the darkness. And as we said earlier, the invisible God becomes visible as we love, because God has opened our eyes to see the brethren and to love. 
Let's not be hypocrites, pretending that we love God who we can't see without having love for his children, his family, who we can see. Do you pass the spiritual paternity test today? Do you believe that God sent his son to die in your place for your sins? Do you see that God is the source of love? And then, is there fruit in your life to, 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 to substantiate your apparent belief in God? Is there fruit? Do you love those in God's family? Those two questions are pertinent to all of us today, whether you're Christian or non-Christians. You can answer that question today. Your answer to that question will identify God as your dad or not. Let's pray. Maybe I'll ask the band to come join me as we do this. Father, thank you. Um, thank you that you're the source of love. And we thank you that you never just kept all your love to yourself. You could have done you're completely happy, Father, Son, and Spirit as a trinity, loving one another eternally. You didn't need us. If anything, we just cause you a headache and heartache. Yet you chose in your divine wisdom to create us in order that we might not only get a peek into the type of love that you have, but Lord, that we might also experience the type of love that you have and that from you and in the direction of one another. Thank you, Lord God. And Father, we're asking that you would help us to understand this to the point where, Lord, not only would we identify that it comes from you, but Lord, that we would believe it that we'd believe it. It's one thing, Lord, to be spiritual. But it's another thing to be godly. And we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that by ourselves apart from the genuine work of your spirit. And Father, we're asking that as you've birthed us into your family, as you've adopted us into your family, we're praying now, Lord God, you'd help us to become mature and help us to understand the implications of not loving our brother and our sister. It's not just about, it's not just about us and what we want or we don't want. It's not even about what our brother and our sister needs. But more importantly, Lord God, this is about reflecting your glory, reflecting your image. It's more about you. And I pray that you'd grow us up. You'd help us to appreciate, Lord God, what this means to you. 26 times in 15 verses, you're communicating that which you are. Not just that which you have, but that which you are. God is love. 
and you've given us of your divine nature, would you please help us, Lord God, to reflect your image for Jesus' sake. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.